0: never told I was the cleverest person in the world it's a pleasure to again be able to stand up here and speak a little bit about uh, god's word so we're looking at daniel chapter four today I wonder do you remember your dreams who, who, who tends to remember their dreams Maybe the Anne you tend to remember your dream. okay I wonder if um, do, you, do you ever have the same dream Like, I think they call them recurring. Put your hand if you sometimes have the same dream. Okay, wow. Interesting. Um, I wonder if you ever wake up from a dream thinking where on earth did that come from? Why were they in my dream? What was going on there? Um, And how did those things mix together? I do have those. I've got to say, I couldn't tell you anything about my dreams at all. I wake up and I think wow, that was bizarre. And then 10 seconds later, I've forgotten all about it, which is largely the story of my life. Um, so I, I can't tell you anything about my dreams. I didn't even know I was speaking today. Um, no, I did. Uh, But And at the risk of having a psychologist here, I'm, I'm going to give a caveat. Um, what I'm about to say about dreams is from the internet. You know, Who knows if it's true? Uh, but I wonder if you've had dreams uh, which fit any of these categories. This is what I'm unreliably told some of our dreams mean. So, if you uh, sometimes have dreams involving being chased, that can mean that you are attempting to avoid a situation or a feeling or a person. Apparently. If you have dreams about your teeth falling out, that can mean a, uh, a feeling of a loss of power. Or um, if you have dreams where you are very concerned about gaps in your teeth, that can apparently uh, mean insecurities maybe about not doing very well at work, things like this, this is apparently what is true. If you have a dream where you're flying, that can mean that you have received a sense of freedom, or you've done something which you've never done before and you've kind of reached new heights. Whereas if you have a dream where you're falling, uh, that suggests that maybe you feel like you're starting to lose your grip on control, or you need to be very cautious about a situation. Apparently, these are the types of things. Our mind plays some subliminal uh, games with us in our dreams. And as we start to process things, um, it can come out in our dreams. Now, I have not got a clue if any of that is true. But, and as somebody who doesn't remember dreams, I don't know. Uh, but these, uh, it's definitely true. A lot of psychologists and people would say that our dreams do have meanings. Well, we're going to read about the dream today. We're going to read about the dream of a king, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we've had a couple of weeks thinking about Nebuchadnezzar and some of the situations surrounding. So, uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time going back through the context, but this is as much a reminder. We find ourselves in uh, Babylonia with Nebuchadnezzar as the king. He's already sacked Judah, uh, largely with the power of the one true God, of uh, Judea, the Judeans' uh, regular disobedience to God and his laws. So he's brought in Nebuchadnezzar with his army as the most powerful man in the world and has sacked Judah, and has taken the most promising of all of the young people, and taken them back to Babylon. Daniel there has been educated really to the highest possible level of education in the world. And he's shown himself of such good potential that he's been promoted, and he's been really very successful for a number of different reasons. And from that position, he's already shown himself to be somebody of real importance to Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 2, which we didn't really look at, uh, Daniel already has interpreted a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Now, in an incredible situation, Nebuchadnezzar didn't even tell him what the dream was and called Daniel to tell him what his own dream was and then to give an interpretation, which Daniel succeeds to do. So he's already shown himself loyal to God, brave in his interpretation, and uh, Daniel's worth to both God and as a uh, testimony and to the king as an advisor It's been clear already in his life. Last week with Ryan, we looked at um, the furnace situation and Daniel refusing to bow down to the idol when the music played and being thrown into the the furnace and God's incredible power and presence there as he was faithful amongst the fire. And God has just done incredible things in the life of Daniel. And it brings us to this this, uh, passage, this situation and we read in Daniel chapter 4 first of all in the first three verses a witness that Nebuchadnezzar gives so this is the first three verses Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples nations, languages that dwell in all the earth peace be multiplied to you I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God has worked for me how great are his signs how mighty his wonders His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world, leader of the Babylonian Empire who has been running rampage through the world, essentially taking over nations, declares as a witness for the king, the the king who sits um, in heaven. And it's great that here he's able to come and he's able to say, God is great and his glory is magnificent. He has done great things, and he has done amazing works, and his kingdom is forever. The words of the king. And the proclamation of God's might and power is due to what he has seen. And this is what makes him a witness for God. He has seen these things. In the passages that uh, um, have come up in Daniel 1, 2, and 3, he has seen God's power. He has seen God do incredible things. Last week, He saw and he witnessed God just do incredible and phenomenal things, And so he is a witness. And isn't it great when we can witness for God and we can witness about his love that we have felt and we have seen and we can witness about his grace as he forgives us and supplies salvation to us when we don't deserve it. It's great when we can witness of all of these things but isn't it great when we can witness about his power as well? And we can say to those around about us, God is incredible. He is mighty. And he is powerful. And it's great when we can say because of things that we've seen in our lives, and we can witness of the might and the power of God. And we'll come back to that. And in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar receives a dream. And this dream was about four great kingdoms. Worldly, earthly kingdoms. And each one is going to be superseded by the next, getting slowly weaker, Um, as the generations go on. But essentially the dream is about the fact that these worldly kings are going to rise and they're going to fall and they're going to start and finish. And really the power of men is not that strong. But God's kingdom at the end of the dream in chapter 2 God's kingdom is going to reign forever and ever. It's going to have eternal dominion and it's never going to be superseded by another kingdom. And so Sometimes we, we read, and people around about us think that God is not at work in our world. God has no power, and we know better. In fact, if you read in Psalm chapter 2, you read a little bit about God's opinion about those people, those people who say, let us cast off God, let us break our chains from God, let us not uh, take his orders, let us not listen to him. And in Psalm t- chapter 2, we read that God laughs. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh and hold in derision those that say these things. God's kingdom is forever. And his dominion and his power and his might is beyond anything that we can understand. And our governments will be voted in and then they'll be voted out. And dictators will rise and just as quickly they will fall. But the reign of God will never be undermined. will never be superseded. And here Nebuchadnezzar sees this. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And so one day our king finds himself asleep in his house and he is the recipient of a dream from God. Now, we're told that he's at rest. But in reality, this is a rest which is based on his own power, his own success, his own feelings about where he is in this palace and his army. And he feels at rest. And he thinks that he's in a comfortable situation because of his own power really and his own Gentile gods and the one true God that sits in heaven is about to intervene he's about to step in so we've seen that he is a witness and we could say what are we witnesses of are we able to say to people around about us of God's power of his love of his grace when we come to the king's dream we read this I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house, and flourishing in my palace, and I saw a dream that made me afraid. The most powerful man in the world. And the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me. Now note that he first of all goes to the wise men of Babylon, that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. And the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream. And they did not make it known they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head, while on my bed, there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, he cried aloud and said thus, chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots in the earth. Bound with a a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beast on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast And let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers, and the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. Gives it to whomever he will, and sets it over the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation but you are able for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Nebuchadnezzar has already seen how important dreams are. In chapter 2 he got a dream and he got his interpretation and he realized how important these dreams from God were. So he really is quite committed to getting an interpretation. And he wants one that's going to be reliable. He wants one that's going to be truthful. And he wants one that's going to explain exactly what God is trying to tell him. And so... He calls in all of his own wise men. All of the Babylonians. All of these soothsayers and Chaldeans, etc. Et uh, to explain what is meant uh, by this dream. Now there's two possible situations that occur here. And I'm not entirely sure which one it is. First of all, and both are kind of implied in the passage. Firstly, they are just not able. The power of their gods has not given them the wisdom. Has not given them the understanding. They do not know the interpretation. And therefore they cannot bring it to Nebuchadnezzar secondly they do understand the interpretation but the interpretation is not going to be pleasing for Nebuchadnezzar it's not going to be what he wants to hear and therefore they're not all that keen to bring it to him and to explain what this dream means they've already seen in some of the previous passages um, Nebuchadnezzar has a penchant for throwing people into fires or for putting people in dens of lions getting on his wrong side is probably not the kind of thing you want to do So, it could be that just through simple fear, they are not willing to explain the dream. And both of those ideas are kind of implied in the passage. We're told that eventually, and at last, he brings in Daniel. Now, this is quite a sad situation. See, Daniel is both able and willing and truthful and honest and responsible to bring this interpretation. And he's already shown that in chapter 2. And yet he's the last one to be brought in. When all of the other king's resources have failed, he brings in Daniel. And then he he, he kind of pays lip service to how good Daniel is and the power of his God at explaining these, these dreams. And I wonder why. And sadly, this is true of me at times as well. When I have questions, queries, things that I'm not sure about, things I'm unclear about, I might go to a variety of people. I might go to Sarah. I might go to my parents. I might go to Sarah's parents. I might go to my friends. I might go to people in the church, depending on what it is. And then eventually, when all of my resources have run out, and I'm still not entirely sure what to do, I eventually go to God. And I eventually say, Oh, God, can can you help? Anything Anything you can do about this? And sadly, that's just not the way it's meant to be. We are supposed to be taking our problems our issues to God first and foremost, and, and maybe sharing our problems with others. But he's the one with the power, and he's the one with the understanding, and he's the one in control. His is the eternal kingdom. And so our challenge is, is he the first place we go? Or is he sometimes the last place we go? But he does eventually a last Brings in Daniel. And Daniel, two quick points about Daniel. We could spend a a week just doing a character study on Daniel and his personality and his character. But two quick points about Daniel. First of all, he is in a very uncomfortable situation. He is not at home. He may have had this great education in Babylon, but he is away from his home and he is away from his people and he is away from the home of his God, the place where his own God is worshipped, he's away from all of that, he's in an uncomfortable situation. And what is he going to do? What would I do in that situation? Sometimes I I fear that probably what I would do is keep my head down, try and blend in, try and make sure that people aren't looking at me, because I'm a little bit different, and I feel uncomfortable. Do what everyone else is doing, and just kind of hope that it it doesn't backfire on me, it doesn't cause me any problems. Not Daniel. Daniel realized that he was where he was for a reason. God had placed him there. And because God had placed him there, he was going to be responsible to God. So he's going to be faithful. And he's going to be true to his God. And we saw that last week. Last week, he was absolutely adamant. He was not going to bow down to any idols. He wasn't going to bow down to anybody else, regardless of what the consequences and the repercussions were. He was there to serve his God. And he was going to stay faithful to that. He wasn't going to shy away from his faith, nor expressing his beliefs, nor praying openly. And he had already got himself a reputation of being a man of his own gods. And so, even last week, fear of his own death and at risk of being thrown in a furnace, he refuses to bow down. And as I was listening to Ryan, as he as, Ryan, as he explained um, that passage to me, I was thinking. What would it have been? What would Daniel have missed out on if he had bowed down? If he had blended in, what would he have missed out on? Well, first of all, he wouldn't have been this incredible testimony to God being spoken about 4,000 years later. He wouldn't have been a testimony to those people around about him about his faithfulness to God. And he wouldn't have been glorifying his own God in that. But on top of that, he wouldn't have had his own faith expanded. I believe that the next time that Daniel is challenged to do something that's going to be difficult, scary, um, it's going to take courage, it's twice as easy for him. Because he's already seen how powerful and magnificent his God is. And if he had bowed down last week, then he wouldn't have had that opportunity. So his own faith has been expanded by his faithfulness to God. And each time he does it, each time he stays faithful to his God, his faith gets bigger. And his God is proven in his own head as the one who is mighty and able to see. And why don't I do that? Why am I at times so unwilling to be faithful and to challenge God and to do what he asks me to do and to test him and to test him in huge ways? Because that's what God asks us to do. To try him and to test him and to challenge him to open up his windows of blessing and then just to watch him do what we never thought he was capable of doing. And so Daniel has stayed faithful to God and in his faithfulness and in the way that he has conducted himself in this uncomfortable situation he has become stronger as a follower of God and his testimony has been a bright light in a dark place. The second thing that Daniel is not only is he faithful to his God he's faithful to his message we already suggested the possibility that these, these wise men of Babylon, of Babylon, they are not willing to rub the king up the wrong way to give the message that he doesn't want to hear. That is not something that's going to maybe help them professionally, or so they think. And so, Nebuchadnezzar finds himself in this situation. He needs an interpretation. And he needs somebody who's going to be honest and truthful and tell it as it is regardless of the consequences. And so that's exactly what Daniel does. He gets the interpretation and he speaks it word for word as God wants him to speak. He doesn't dilute it. He doesn't suggest a slightly different version. He tells it as it is. And he's faithful. And he's loyal. And in his loyalness, he is both being loyal to his God and to Nebuchadnezzar. Because this is what Nebuchadnezzar needs to hear. And we'll look at the interpretation in a minute. But Nebuchadnezzar needs to hear this; it is a warning from God. And so we find ourselves in a very similar situation. We have a message from God. We have a warning for people that we work with. And for people that we live beside. And maybe for people in our family. God has given us a warning. And that warning is that Christ has died for our sins, so that we don't need to be punished for them. God has already finished the work of salvation, and Christ dying on the cross has taken our sins. And yet I find myself at work sometimes with an opportunity to tell that to somebody, and I shy away. Because I don't know how they're going to take it. And I don't want to kind of put any damage on that professional relationship we've got. I them to think, oh, Here he goes again with his God stuff. I don't want them to think, oh, I can't get into a conversation with him. I'm not even going to bother. But actually, God challenges me to do exactly that. And to speak the warning. And to tell people about Christ. And it's the only way that I can be loyal to God and to my friend by telling them what God wants them to know. So Daniel is a faithful, faithful man. And so we come to the king's warning in verse 20. <clears throat> the tree that you saw, he says, which grew and become strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home, it is you, O king, you have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stumps and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as as they gave the commandment to leave the stumps and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you, after you come to know that heaven rules Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity the dream becomes clear and when you have the interpretation suddenly it all makes sense and God speaks a clear warning to Nebuchadnezzar about the height to which he has come as a ruler as the captain if you like of the greatest army in the world the ruler of the most powerful nation. But his downfall is going to be swift, and it is going to be soon. See, Nebuchadnezzar has realized his own glory, and he would soon attribute it to his own works, and his own power, and the things that he has done. this is what Nebuchadnezzar is being warned that he is going to do. His arrogance was going to be his downfall. And sadly, it's going to cause him to turn away from being a just king, a ruler who is compassionate and caring, and he's going to become much more of a dictator. Somebody who is not uh, compassionate to the the poor. Somebody who is not caring to those who are in need of his help. And his arrogance is going to place him in a position where judgment is needed. And so God warns him. Warns him to be humble. I remember as a child being told not to pray. ...for God to make humble. But to pray instead... ...that I would keep myself humble. And I was always told... ...because you never know... ...how God will make you humble. And that was Nebuchadnezzar right now. He should have been trying to stay humble himself... ...even in his glorifying circumstances. Because when it came to God making him humble... ...it was going to be a painful experience. But it was going to get the job done. We are warned about arrogance... ...in the scriptures... And we are told in many, many places in the Bible about being arrogant. Second Samuel chapter 2 says this, Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Isaiah 13 says this, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. And Proverbs 27 says this, Let another praise you. And not your own mouth. A stranger. Not your own lips. And there's many more passages about arrogance. And we are told that we should not inflate ourselves. We should not beg ourselves up. And humility is essentially having a right idea about ourselves. And God doesn't call us to be pessimistic uh, uh, about ourselves. He doesn't tell us talk ourselves down all the time. That's not what he actually asks us to do. If I happen to be the greatest guitar player in the world, and I'm not, but if I was, there's no point in me telling everybody everybody, I can't play the guitar. That's, That's not humility, that's a lie. But what God does ask us to do is to have a right perspective and a right judgment of ourselves. And when we do something or we believe we are something and we inflate it to other people and we talk ourselves up, we are being arrogant. And the biggest problem about this and the reason why it is a sin is because it shows that we have not got the right idea about ourselves and about God. You see, when we talk ourselves up and we praise ourselves and we think that we are deserving of other people's praise, we are missing the actual point. The truth is the opposite our wisdom is foolishness to God our best efforts are dirty rags and our most treasured opinions of ourselves are wrong when we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ we get ourselves in the right perspective and we suddenly realise that our love our ideas, our, our morality our compassion, our grace, our justice are nothing in comparison to And so when we see Christ's perfections, his holiness, we understand our weaknesses and really who we are in the eyes of God. And it is our weaknesses that put up this barrier, put up this wall against God, and it is Christ's perfections that smash that barrier back down again and draw us back to God. And what we are asked to do is to confess our sins to God and to understand who we are in his eyes so that we can have the right relationship with him. And we can have communion with him in a way which is pleasing to him, and which helps us. And when we realise who Jesus is, our arrogance dissolves away. Or at least it should. For our king, he's got a wake-up to have. At this time, sorry, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honour of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom shall depart from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whoever he chooses. And that very hour... The word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like birds' claws. Sure enough, the promises of God have come true. His warning has come true. We're told in Numbers chapter 23 God is not a man that he should lie, nor the Son of Man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken that it will not come to good? Our God, when he speaks, speaks the truth. And the warning that he gave to Nebuchadnezzar was going to happen. But it was a warning, and he gave him the chance to turn away from his ways. Sadly, we see Nebuchadnezzar did the exact opposite. And actually, walking around, one day he looks across Babylon and he says, this is amazing, and this is because of me. I did this. I built this. My power. My glory. I did it all. And there's arrogance. And contrast that with the words at the beginning of the chapter where he was glorifying God for his great power and his might and his kingdom that will last forever. How far he has fallen in his own mind. And so God steps in. And he views our opinion of ourselves quite seriously. And he steps in in quite a uh, obvious way in King Nebuchadnezzar. And in one hour, the most powerful man in the world has lost his mind. And because of his actions and his words, presumably, he is driven out of the palace and out of the city and he is in a field. And he is eating grass like he was a cow. And he has lost his mind. And history actually does show, and some of the historians from 4,000 years ago, when they are writing of Nebuchadnezzar and his reign, there is this, this passage in the, the narrative where it says that gods came upon him. And whilst it doesn't go into much more detail, there is suggestion that that is exactly what is being recounted. Like these gods came before it, upon him, almost like devils, where he became possessed. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, from his arrogance, is driven into a field. He is the lowest of the low. He's not a peasant, he's not a beggar, he is like an animal in the field. And it's worth us just keeping in mind who is in charge in this world. That the one who sits on the throne of heaven, the one who calls us to be obedient and to have the right idea about ourselves, he is in charge. And so Nebuchadnezzar, his arrogance has got him into the fields. But it's great to see that even though he has caused this from self and he's brought this upon himself, God gives him an opportunity to repent. And that is our God. He gives warnings before he judges. And even after he judges, he gives opportunity for repentance and to come back to himself. And when we see in the next few verses, at the end of this time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added. And just like Peter, who denied the Lord three times, who stood against our Lord Jesus Christ, was just weeks later, standing in Jerusalem, proclaiming him and praising him and preaching him, God gives an opportunity for repentance and an opportunity for Nebuchadnezzar to fix this situation and to turn and to glorify God and to realize who he is and then to have that uh, relationship with God restored. And that's exactly what happens. He realizes, he comes to his senses, he understands what has happened, and he realizes that it was God's glory all the time. It wasn't his. God put him where he was, and God gave him this position and this kingdom, and it was God's power and God's might. And in actual fact, incredibly, at the end of this horrific situation for Nebuchadnezzar, he is in a more enlightened situation about who God is. He now knows, knows that he's the powerful one but he's also the gracious one and the merciful. One. And he now knows more about God. For us there is no sin nothing that we can have done that can distance us from God enough that he will not take us back. There is no sin big enough that his grace and his mercy isn't bigger. And for you and for I, whether it's a sin in the past or the present or the future, there is nothing that you can do. There is no downfall that you can go through. There is no backsliding great enough that God will not have you back because his mercy and his love is greater than anything that you can do. And that's one of the most incredible things about God. We were broken to start with. And he loved us and gave his son for us and saves us. And then when we fall away from him and continue to sin, he welcomes us back. And when we do it again, he welcomes us back again. And there is nothing that you can do that he will not accept you back. If only, like Nebuchadnezzar, we're able to say, I was wrong. God, you were right. And restore that relationship. And so what a journey this king has been on through our passage. What an incredible set of situations. But now, he knows and forever will know that all of the glory belongs to God who sits in heaven. And it is his power and it is his dominion and it is his everlasting kingdom. And so we're going to finish with this last verse from the passage. And what a proclamation of this king. He starts off glorifying God and he falls. And he comes back to God. And God accepts him back and God welcomes him back. And at the end he makes this incredible declaration. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of Heaven. All of whose works are truth, And his ways, justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can say with Nebuchadnezzar your works are truth, and your ways are just and Father when we need your support and your help help us to be those who go to you first and Father when we have fallen help us just to come back and to understand who we are in your eyes and in your sight and help us to have the right perspective of ourselves and of you the one who deserves all of the glory and so Father this morning I thank you for challenging us again from from Daniel and the example that he is and help us just to be to walk closer lives with you help us to learn from your words and from your spirit and today I just ask that you protect us and help us as we go our ways. in Jesus name